Welcome back to Cinema Snorkel, everybody. We're happy to be here. I hope you're happy to be here. Casey, happy to be here? I like to strut down the catwalk, <laughs> like to strut down the catwalk, like to strut down the catwalk. I think you watched Zoolander and not uh, The Devil Wears Prada. Oops, it was the wrong movie. <laughs> German fashion models strutting down the catwalk. <laughs> How's that for an intro? That's great. Let's keep it. I'm thrilled. Yeah, me too. Um, we, hey, we've teased about doing this movie before, and we're finally doing it. Isn't that great? Carlin, what movie is that? It's The Devil Wears Prada, an American classic. Who are you? My name is Andy Sachs. I recently graduated from Northwestern University. What are you doing here? I came to New York to be a journalist, and... Uh, Basically, it's this or auto universe. So you don't read Runway? No. And before today, you had never heard of me? No. And you have no style or sense of fashion? I think that depends on what you're... No, no. That wasn't a question. Carlin, this is one of your favorite movies. Hands down. Hands down. Why? Well, I think it's because on the surface, it's just one of... It's like that early 2000s chick flick uh, that's got great pop music and like a really catchy kind of I don't know like an amazing heroine who you just love and then it's a little a romance and a little bit of intrigue but when you scratch the surface I think that there's some of the most profound themes ever and I think these themes in particular like have really shaped my life and who I want to be wow. um and I just love that I just love it oh I'm excited the Barbie movie was not the first like girl movie to be really profound and like give girls a high mark to to aim for you know what i'm saying it wasn't but shockingly no but how i'm just a ken i don't understand these things no you wouldn't um that's okay that's okay you you find your own path there ken there's a lot of these kind of chick flick movies that i think are absolute duds like what like what uh okay like <laughs> never been kissed um, okay, never seen it's it. a movie where she <laughs> pretends she's like a she's a full-grown adult journalist oh, but she and pretends she pretends to be, to be a high schooler and then the the teacher's like hitting on her and it's not supposed to be weird because we all know that she's like an adult but he doesn't know that and they never they never explain that away or make us feel okay about it more than a few movies fall into that cringeworthy trope like i'm thinking of uh freaky friday uh, which i just watched recently uh -huh. and the guy the love interest of Lindsay lohan the daughter falls for her but in her mom's like they switch body, like they switch, you know, because it's Freaky Friday. So, so then. Uh, so she's the kid, but she's in the body of her mom. She's the kid, but she looks like her mom, and they're like at a coffee shop, like like laughing and connecting. And he's young. It's like he's young. Huh? He's her age. Jamie Lee Curtis and like an eighteen-year-old. Are you are, are you just... meant to think like wow, like it's not about the shell, it's about like the your heart and your. Like, who you are on the inside is more important than who you are on the outside? Is that what they're trying to say? Yeah, they, no, they have some laughs about it. Like, they, the movie is self-aware enough to know, like, that's pretty messed up. <laughs> that's some Stacy's mom stuff right there. Yeah. But at the, at, at the end, the guy's just kind of like, hey, could we just, like, he's now talking to Lindsay Lohan as herself. She never tells him what happened. Okay. <laughs> but then he's just kind of like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but can we just, but can we just, like, pretend like yesterday just, like, didn't even happen? Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, sounds good. And then they kiss. 
And he, in in his mind, he had this weird connection with her mom and is just not going to tell her about it. It never gets explained. He's like, yesterday I was pretty into your mom. Today I'm pretty into you. No, 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 no. Yeah, why were we okay with all this stuff back then? I know. Whatever. (laughs) But anyway, Carlin, the devil wears Prada. This is not that. No, it's not. It's a gem. It's an absolute gem. What's your favorite thing about the movie? You know, they take the impressions of so many people in their audience and they like steel man them. So like, I personally think the fashion industry is ludicrous. (laughs) Um, Like, I don't know if any of our listeners have seen that Balenciaga fashion show where they're like walking in a garbage patch. Like literally Balenciaga (laughs) staged a fashion shoot in a landfill Uh... and Kanye, this is like a couple years ago, like Kanye and all these like, Big name Balenciaga stars are like, I like to walk down the catwalk. But they're like wearing trash bags. Yeah. Like, that is my impression of sounds, high fashion. I don't know. It sounds like you're just not very sophisticated. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I think not. Don't I don't that. wear trash. <laughs> I don't wear literal trash bags. Yeah. But listen, the movie takes that at face value that's where all our favorite characters start except for her one friend you know she's got a group of four friends yeah and the one guy knows all these fashion things it's like oh interesting but like but everyone else is like you hate these stuck-up snobby fashion people yeah like and her boyfriend nate's just like a, a guy who's like good at cooking and he's just like like just be yourself you know and like yeah. we're meant to resonate with that so deeply right so having steel manned that argument they kind of take you on this journey of then really peeling back the world. And actually, I mean, that leads to so many questions for me, Carlin, that I basically want to ask you as the the person who's seen this more. Do you know it's based off of a book? Yes. And the book is basically just like a revenge story about a girl, the author, spent almost a year, but not a full year, at Vogue. No way. And famously interacted with uh, Anna Winter. I think that's how you say her name. And she's been like the editor-in-chief of Vogue for years, but she has a really bad reputation. And apparently in the book, they portray the fashion industry as as frivolous as you kind of want to believe it is. Wow. And apparently the the book was meant to be more like a Zoolander, which had just come out before. Interesting. And it is like, oh my gosh, fashion is just stupid and silly and frivolous. But the, and I watched this video a long time ago. I'll have to drum it up again to remember the details, but... They were making the case that this is one of the best book adaptations because it takes what's good about the book, but then it changes enough about it to actually make it a much better story. One of the key things that they did was let's let's show you the value of the fashion industry. Huh. And let's make Miranda, instead of just being like this dragon lady, horrible, awful person, let's actually make her like she's got some clout. They humanize her. Uh, Yeah, well, they humanize her by showing her vulnerability, but they also prove to you that there's no one else in the world that can do her job. Wow. She really is the best of the best. And it's not nothing. It's not just bullying. Yeah. It actually is, because they have that whole scene where she, like, points out her cerulean. Yeah. She's like, you know, what color is your sweater? You know, and she's like, blue. It's like, no, it's, it's a cerulean. And she does that whole exposition where she goes through every step that sweater went through before it ended up on Nordstrom Rack. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Andy bought it. <laughs> you know, she's like, oh, oh, you think that this has nothing to do with you? That monologue, yeah. Do you know she improvised that? No. Yeah. She did? Meryl freaking Streep. Meryl Streep. The queen. She came up with the word cerulean. 
I mean, it is a word, but they that wasn't in the script, and then it became famous. And a lot of that scene was ad-libbed. I don't remember if it's the whole thing, but she basically, like infuse that with her awesomeness because she she does that whole thing where she's like it's sort of comical that you think you made a choice <laughs> that sets you apart when you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the very people in this room yeah Ooh. from a pile of you know quote unquote stuff yeah so andy goes on a major journey from being that super relatable like down to earth i don't care what people think about me and there's something about that that we like. Yeah. But it's actually not really true because she does care what people think about her. She's. Ooh. It's just that the message she's putting out there is, I'm somebody who doesn't care what people think about me. Ooh. Yeah. But the truth is, everyone does care. Like, in the end, she ends up kind of synthesizing the two sides of her where she stops dressing frumpy. She actually starts dressing chic, but not runway chic. Just like someone who's classy yeah. and knows how to put together an outfit okay okay we're already knee deep in the theme so let's just go ahead and like make an official switch because i have questions that i want answered carlin yeah 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 let's go let's go okay so you said andy stops dressing frumpy and starts dressing chic so let me let's just start with this one okay what's the message of the devil wears prada regarding the fashion industry what are the filmmakers trying to tell us about the fashion Ooh. industry? Go back to where we were talking about. They go on that journey where at first it's every man perspective where you're like, yeah. this is high fashion. It sucks. <clears throat> then we get Miranda's perspective like we're talking about where it's like there's a, there's art and there's skill to this. Yeah. We're not just messing around. Like this really is an art form. It's, it's not just power dynamics and bullying and – you know, pretense. Yeah. There actually is something real here. Where does the movie want us to land about the fashion industry itself? Honestly, I think it's wrapped up in the character of Nigel. Ooh. Because he's the first one that this great scene where she comes in and is like, Nigel, I just can't do it. It's so hard. And he's like, oh, get real. You haven't been trying. Um, yeah. And then he gives us a window into what runway means to him. And that's, he's the one that says the line, this is greater than art because you live your life in it. Yeah. And he helps us to see like, wow, fashion is, um, it's, it's like human experience. Like it's, it, it is culture. Um, but then you also, I think Nigel also gives us a window into how silly it is. Like, remember when they're doing the, um, the urban jungle photo shoot yeah, in Central like Park. Outside, and he has like, this look on his face that's just like, this is, I can't believe I say this kind of stuff all day. Like, this is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. So <laughs> he, you know, he's not immune to the stupidity. He's a smart character. He's with it. He values yeah. fashion, but he also knows that there's a side to it that's that's absolutely ridiculous sometimes. Do you think that the movie is telling us he has synthesized it really well? Uh... Like, his perspective on that, like, like he's got it right. He's like, I can roll my eyes at... He, like, he says at that outdoor Central Park, like, yeah. urban jungle thing, he's like, careful or I'll feed you to one of the models. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, so is he is he showing a mature, balanced, healthy perspective? Is that what the movie wants I us think, to conclude? Like, Nigel's got it right? I think of the fashion industry, yes. Um, hmm. But maybe of some of the other themes, not quite. What do you think? I think he represents us a, a real um like guide for andy like he is very grounded he actually does have two feet on the ground yeah in his perception of the industry and um and in his role of 
really caring for Andy. Yeah. I think why we're meant to root for him and show that he is a good guy is that he really actually cares about people. Mm. And so I think that perspective grounds him on everything else in a uh, like a morally positive mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. So actually, I, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. As far as the fashion indu- industry is concerned, I think you're pointing right at it. Nigel is the he's the last word on the fashion industry. Yeah. But Carlin, that does lead to another uh, moment in the film that I wanted to ask you about. So Nigel at that awards dinner. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the movie and you're watching this, I, ho- I hope you'll remember everything that happens. Andy climbs the ranks of the fashion industry. They go to this big awards dinner. There's a big switcheroo where Nigel thinks he's getting the promotion to basically run the company, but then he gets stabbed in the back. Yeah, he thinks he thinks he's getting uh, a partnership with one of the designers. Right. But Miranda, in order to save her own butt, gives his position to the editor of the French runway, her rival, so that she can keep her throne. Jacqueline or whatever. She throws Nigel under the bus and in the he doesn't know until they announce it and the look on his face just makes you want to cry buckets because he uh, he deserves it, um, but Miranda is the devil. <laughs> his line, so this is what I wanted to ask about, his line after that, he just says, when the time is right, she'll reward me. And Andy uh, says, yeah. Do you really believe that though? Like, do you, will she? And Nigel says, I have to believe that she will. Oh, yeah. Talk to me about that it, scene, Carlin. What, what does that mean? It's like, um, it's a self deception, but it's paper thin. He knows, he knows he's kind of just decided to go with it, even though his soul. Well, okay, I think, I think that leads us into another theme, which is, uh, in order to do this job, Andy has to sell her soul to the devil, essentially, leading to the title of the movie. Wow. And it seems like Nigel has sold his soul, and he knows it a little bit. But Andy, that's kind of what she learns, right? How do, how do you see that theme working out for Andy? I think that's a good point. We can't answer Nigel's theme until we answer where Andy lands yeah. and her character journey, because she really is the last word. Nigel has that moment. She comes into his office, and she's he's like, my job is so hard, and... He goes, so quit. Yeah. And she's like, well, I can't quit. I'm not going to quit. And he's like, be serious, Andy. And I, I copied down this quote because I thought it was so good. He said, you have no idea how many legends have walked these halls. And what's worse, you don't care. Because this place where so many people would die to work, you only deign to work. Dang. And you want to know why Miranda doesn't give you a gold star on your homework. <laughs> yeah. It's like splash of truth from Nigel there. So ah, this movie is so incredibly complex. It's what makes it great art, okay? Yeah. Because we have to synthesize that with Nigel's journey. Like, like there's we're, we have to unravel the yarn ball a little bit here, Carlin, because that lands. I mean, to me, mm-hmm. that's one major theme of the film, which is don't quit, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think it's wrapped up in the idea of you always have a choice. If mm-hmm. you don't want to hang in this industry, you may always quit. Again and again and again, if you listen to this movie through the lens of choice, uh-huh. you'll hear it pop up all the time. There's two choices. One is what kind of a person are you going to be uh-huh. in an industry that's savage and dog-eat-dog world? Yeah. But the other choice, the more immediate choice is, am I going to give up? Right? Yeah. And so Andy goes on this journey where she does it all backwards 
at first. At first, she does what any of us would do. She whines about her job, uh-huh. but isn't actually giving it her best. Mm-hmm. And you've said this to me. This is this is where this movie has impacted us. We, I mean, you and I have had conversations about jobs mm-hmm. that are difficult. And and you've been like, I've had this Devil Wears Prada moment where it's like, am I actually trying my hardest though? Like I'm 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 playing the middle and I'm not actually doing my best. And so uh, I need to I need to have like a Nigel figure just be like, look, I get it, it's hard, but you can quit anytime you want. Yeah. But until then, you need to appreciate what it means to be here. You need to yeah. give it your best shot, or it's just arrogance. Uh, that's keeping you from really appreciating what's happening in, in your industry. Now, when she first walks in the room, she's Miranda has asked her to do the impossible. She's right. stuck somewhere and needs a flight during a hurricane. A hurricane. She right. tries everything and she fails. And that's right. the moment that she walks in and goes, I can't do it. It's so hard. Now, that feels right. like that really is impossible. Like, what, what are you supposed to do when? <laughs> yeah. When it really is that hard and her her boss is the devil yeah so how do we split that difference how does the movie split that difference that's what we need to pay attention yeah. to at this stage yeah how does the movie split that difference between because so the first one is the hurricane then the second one is hey can you get an advanced copy of jk rowling for my kids yeah right and that time after she's had her fashion glow up uh-huh. uh, and she's committed to really trying she finds a way to do it yeah we're meant to believe like the difference between good and great is a hair's breadth. And you split the difference by appreciating what it is you're there to do and appreciating the sacrifice so many other people have made to get where you are. So there's actually a new humility that Andy finds. Mm. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's true? Like it's the humility that says, okay, I'm actually going to dress the part for the job. Huh. I'm going to give it my 100% because I'm not above all this. Like if I'm going to be here... I need to have a better attitude, which means having the humility to appreciate what the people in this room are at least trying to do. Right. And that's phase one. There's a line that keeps popping up. A million girls would kill for this job. And it means different things, I think, depending on the context. But in this context, it means, like what Nigel said, what a million girls would die for, you only deign to do. Right. And I think that speaks to so many of us because when was the last time you can honestly say you put everything you had into a project, into a relationship, into trying to make peace? Into, into a workout. To, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. The Yesterday I did a calisthenics workout and I, I had that thought. Like they say your brain quits when you're about like 60%. You're nowhere <laughs> near 100%. But we're designed not to give all our energy at one moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there's a mental battle. And and Andy steps up to the plate, and she somehow gets the manuscript of Harry Potter from her sleazy author friend. Yeah, he's weird. <laughs> Christian Thompson, yeah. <laughs> but but she uh, she does it, and she drops that manuscript on Miranda's desk, like, like thump. Yeah. And Miranda, and she's like, is there anything else? <laughs> and Miranda lowers her glasses and says, no, that will be all. But you can tell she's impressed. She's made the impression. Ooh, it's so satisfying. Isn't it so satisfying? Yes. Phase one is, should you give up? You always have a choice to either give up or or go hard. And it seems like the movie says, don't give up. You can't judge from a place of arrogance where you're not actually trying. You need the humility mm. that leads to blood, sweat, and tears to actually send it, to give it your very best effort. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't quit. 
But the second part of choice has to do not with work ethic, but losing your soul. So Andy's journey then, it seems like she starts out from a wholesome place Uh where she loves her friends. And then there's that horrible scene where she's at her friend's art gallery exposition and Christian gives her a little kiss on the cheek and her friend sees it. And then Andy makes eye contact. That is a gross scene. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? What? Why? What do you think is the revelation? Oh. oh, my gosh. Just like as an audience member, like if you've ever disappointed someone you love by doing the wrong thing, not by trying and not doing yeah. it, not succeeding, but by doing something wrong. Yeah. And they know it and you know it. You, you've been caught in that moment. Even in a little way. But Andy has the same ready excuse that she uses for everything. It's not my fault. It just happened I, to me. I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. She literally says that like, like every other line she's saying that. And when it comes to selling her soul to the devil, which believe it or not, I never caught on to that obvious theme, Carlin. So thank you for saying that. You got it. She acts like she doesn't have a choice. She, and, and then she and Miranda have that big confrontation where Miranda's like, you do have a choice. You chose the minute you sacrificed Emily to come to Paris. That's the big mic drop moment because she learns the first lesson, right? She has her glow up. She starts doing really well. Miranda starts noticing her. She rescues Emily with that name at the uh, gala. She is like winning the game, you know? And then Miranda brings her to Paris. And um, Andy, she, she turns to her and goes, you know, I see a lot of myself in you. And Andy says, no, 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 no. Like, I, I don't want that. I could, I could never do what you did to Nigel. He says, oh, but you already did. You literally threw Emily under the bus so that you could come to Paris. Yeah. And she goes, no, no, that wasn't my fault. I didn't have a choice. She did have a choice. What's the choice? Well, the question is, what's it going to cost you? Because, and like we said at the beginning, this movie steel mans the argument. They're not pretending like the choice is easy. Yeah. It would cost Andy leaving the fashion industry because Miranda puts it to her. She's like, well, if you don't want to go to Paris then I will give this honor of a lifetime to someone who actually wants it. There's a line of girls, yeah. you know, and I can, oh, she said her actual line is, I can only assume you're not serious about yeah. working here. So they steel man the argument. It's like the choice is brutal. Yeah. It, the choice is everything that you would hope you wouldn't have to give up, right? Like everything Andy's worked for, she's, uncovered something really good here like a diamond in the rough oh my gosh like i've been arrogant now i'm humble and i'm ready to do the work and look it's paid off i'm going to paris and miranda essentially asks her to sacrifice that if she's going to hold to her you know quote unquote conscience yeah you can sacrifice that you have a choice so go ahead make your choice yeah right yeah i i noticed something this time around um that scene where miranda's vulnerable right she walks in and sees her without makeup on and her husband's just filed for divorce again it's like her fourth husband or whatever uh that scene i think i noticed for the first time this round that andy sees for a minute what her life could be like because her boyfriend just left her that day or the day before or whatever yeah nate he breaks up with her for this career, and then she walks in and sees, this is Miranda. Miranda's been living this life for a long time, and she can't keep a man. Like, this is the path before me. Yeah. And you know what? In terms of 
Andy's relationships, that Christian dude's always waiting in the wings. You kind of feel a little uncomfortable, but it's also, he's walking a fine line between like, wow, this dude's confident. He's really into Andy. Yeah. I think most girls appreciate that kind of confidence from men. Yeah. In the sense that like, you seem so worth it to me. I'm going to risk embarrassing myself. Like, I'm going to be bold. Yeah. Like, are you sure you're still with that guy? You know, it's like, there is a, there's a fine line. And I, I recognize, like, it gets creepy, like, <laughs> really fast. Creepy. And I think we're meant to be a little creeped out by Christian. But we're also meant, like, they, it's hazy enough that at first we're kind of like, Who's it, who is this dude? Like, yeah. this guy uh, might have a lot going for him. You know, it's not immediately clear that he's a cad. Right. You know? He's got, I mean, he's the ticket, right? He's, he can connect her with the publishers. She could have her real dream, which is to be a journalist. Yeah. But I, yeah. okay, I have a question for you. At the beginning, he acts disappointed that she's Miranda's girl, yeah. right? He's like, oh, that's too bad. You seem nice and smart. Ooh, what do you think? Yeah. How does that serve the, the themes? Great question. Oh man, great question. Even as you asked it, I was thinking just going back to that, right? Because Christian is doing the same thing Andy did, playing the game that, oh, I'm better than those people. Mm. I'm better than, I'm not a Miranda's stooge. Right, you know? right. I'm, I'm like, I'm just an independent author, cool guy, huh. scarf-wearing, Paris-loving guy who's like super street smart. I would never be like a Miranda's girl. Right, right. But what you find out is that he has adopted the disdain for the aesthetics of being a Miranda's girl without developing the moral code oh. that ultimately will set Andy apart, where she actually chooses to walk away from Miranda for the right reasons. Nice, nice. He actually is all show. And at one point he says a line that stuck out to me. He's like, I'm an independent writer, so I have a lot of time on my hands. Yeah. Like, you couldn't have a more contrasty experience between Andy, who's working her butt off. Right. And this guy who, like, writes some stuff, whatever, it's on the side of a bus. He's an instant success. He's never had to work for it. Right. And he's going to, he's going to, like, do the, I can't remember exactly how he's involved in that dirty deal. He orchestrates he, it. He, it's like his, he knows about it. He's, like, one of the main guys, kind of. He's going to overthrow Miranda and that's going to serve everyone else and serve himself. And then, but Miranda's such a sly fox. She outwits him. So he gets burned too. Like everyone in the room gets burned uh, by Miranda's ultimate switcheroo. So we think Christian's doing the double crossing. He's getting double crossed by Miranda. Yeah. And he's out in the cold. And at the end of the day, he has neither his integrity nor the like glossy sheen of the fashion industry that he's climbing the ladder. Actually, he's climbing the ladder so desperately to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And his his like his like attitude towards it is just an act. He's trying to be too cool for school. Right. But he actually is playing the game greasier than anybody else. And he ends up looking like an absolute idiot by the end. Right. Right. So Andy um when she finds out she's in his apartment, she sees the yes. cover. Um, and then she has this burst of, I have to warn Miranda. How are we supposed to see that? Like, she's so, is that just her loyalty? Yeah, I think she's gone on a journey to where now she, it doesn't matter really what Miranda's uh, about. Andy's able to see the humanity in her, and Andy's committed to doing the right thing in that moment. As, she, mm. as, as far as she knows, she's doing the right thing by warning Miranda. Yeah, She's actually proving that her character is of the highest caliber. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, Because she warns Miranda when other people would have just let her take the huge fall. Right. And also, one of the best moments. So, like, this is tipping our hands as to our our worldview, right? They have that casual hookup. 
Yeah. Which every time I see that portrayed in a movie, I just want to scream. There's no such thing as casual sex. <laughs> yeah, true. Never has been, never will be. It, even if both parties think this is casual, it's actually not. Yeah. Sex is not designed to be casual. Yeah. So when you pretend like it's casual, either both people are fooling themselves or as is far more likely, one person's fooling both themselves yeah. and the and the other party whether whether it's coerced or not you know what i mean like both can both parties can consent yeah. but it's just sex is designed to be something more so anyway so i, I always want to scream that that's to say sex has intrinsic value it's not just the value that society has assigned to it that's right it's not special because um generations of tradition have called it taboo and special and sacred right it's like actually yes. it has real value it's the way the world works. It's the way our bodies are designed and our emotions, which are inseparable. Yeah. Our emotions are housed in our bodies. And so what you do with your body matters. And so at that moment, I just want to scream like that has real implications for her future relationship with Nate, for example. Yeah, right. They kind of skip, skippity-doo right over that. And I don't think it's irresponsible because we're not meant to be like, oh, it's fine. We, we feel, we lamented a little bit. Yeah. She kind of has that moment where she goes, I'm not your baby. Because remember, yeah. he's like, baby, wait. And she's like, I'm not your baby. And she walks out. On one hand, awesome, empowered. She's calling the wolf in sheep's clothing what he is. He's a wolf. Yeah. On the other hand, I always mourn a little bit because the consequences were probably bigger than we're meant to take away in that sure, moment. Sure, sure. It's an empowered move, but only after a moral compromise that's ultimately going to hurt her in life. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's a that's side an note, implicit. But... That's an implicit worldview theme. Um, yes. Just a, it's a product of the world that we live in where the narrative going around is that sex isn't really that meaningful. Right. And I mean, this movie has so much integrity. They don't actually, I don't think they're commenting on whether that casual sex was good, bad. I mean, if anything, they're saying it was bad. Yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, that's just a little extra. Like when I watch that movie, that's what strikes me. But, any, but anyway, to your, to your question, yeah, I think she is showing that she has aced um, the excellence test. And she is now starting to realize she might not have done so well on the integrity test, but she's going to try to do the right thing and warn Miranda. But then it all comes to a head in that final. And this is this is just good filmmaking. Uh -huh. The actual climax of the movie is the very last scene huh. where they're in the car and they have that like really serious conversation where she's like, I see a great deal of myself in you. It's like on one hand, this is everything she's been working for. On the other yeah. hand. It's what the last thing she ever wanted to hear. Yeah. And Andy says this. She says, what if I don't want to live the way you live? Uh -huh. And Miranda says, oh, don't be ridiculous, Andy. Everybody wants this. And then Andy gets out. She just leaves Miranda. She gets out on the other side of the car. I loved this scene. The paparazzi swarming Miranda's side of the car. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants this. She gets out mm -hmm. to keep doing her thing. And Andy just walks. She gets out on the other side of the car where there's nobody around mm -hmm. and just walks away. It's like she's finally making the choice, the hard the choice. choice, the hardest choice. Because up until that point, um, it's been not my fault, not my fault. I want to do both. Right. Yeah. Like I want to keep my integrity. I don't want to be who you are. But th right. the, the problem is with this job, well, maybe this is a question to ask. Do you have to sell your soul to the devil to work at Runway? Can you do it with integrity? Like, what could Andy have done better in an ideal scenario? I don't know. I mean, I think the movie takes us on a journey like it unfolds over time. Mm -hmm. But she, the critical moment is knowing what you know, 
how are you going to act? Mm. So she can't know what she she can't know enough to make a real decision while she's being lazy and and excuse making. Mm -hmm. But then knowing what she knows, what is she going to do about it? Are you going to let the first compromise that you've made because she has compromised? Yeah. Are you going to let those first compromises stack up to be bigger and bigger and bigger compromises until you literally are Miranda? Mm. And she sees that so clearly that she says, I need to walk it back. And Carlin, here's the deal. <laughs> I feel like in almost every movie we review, you and I are going, are sitting here going, take responsibility for your actions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like kids movies these days are the absolute worst at this. They ha they're not always, but mostly. They're like... Yeah. The villains are just misunderstood. The heroes have nothing to apologize for, and there's their quote unquote hero's journey is just embracing who they always were the whole time. Yeah. You know, that's not real life for most people. We all make stupid decisions. We all hurt people. We all have uh, evil yeah. that we've perpetrated. Yeah. It might feel small, but we've done it. And in this movie, Andy actually takes responsibility, and we see her doing it. Yeah. She apologizes yeah. to Nate. Uh huh. She. We we think, I mean, we, we're led to assume she apologizes to her friends. I've been a real jerk. Yeah. And what she's not doing is uh, uh, saying that it was easy. Like, she's not she's not going to straw man how easy it could have been. Like, oh, I easily could have done the right thing. Right. She's, she's taking, she has the full wisdom and knowledge to understand it was hard, but I still had a choice. And what I'm apologizing for is that I, when the chips were down, I actually was serving myself and my own image. Mm. And I, and I am, I'm really sorry about that. Yeah. And then Carlin, and this doesn't, see, this is the cherry on top because the, I don't think the movie's saying this needed to happen, but Miranda calls the Chicago Tribune or whatever that she's going to work for and says, I've, what does she say? He said, by far, you were the worst disappointment I've ever had. And I'd be an idiot not to hire you. Yes. <laughs> So there's respect given yeah. at the end because Andy has a soul. Yep. <laughs> she hasn't sold it to the devil. She hasn't. Dang. And and how is that the same lesson that she learned up front? I know we, we were kind of talking about them like they're different, but there's echoes of that conversation she had with Nigel where he's like, come on, um, you're not trying. Like, if you were really trying, you'd make this decision. I mean, yeah, they do seem like two different questions, but you're right. They're like linked they're like linked by a chain to each other. Maybe the message the filmmakers have for us is this is what it means to take responsibility for your actions in the real world, yeah. both in terms of excellence and in terms of humility, like yeah. the humility to be excellent and tr and apply yourself and appreciate the goodness of of work in a certain industry, in a certain field, yeah. and taking responsibility in a moral sense. Yeah. You choose to sell your soul to the devil. No one makes you do it. Yeah but the cost is high sometimes. Do you want to talk about some, some Christian themes? I would love to. What does a Christian worldview have to say with the fashion industry? <laughs> what do you think? Actually, no, actually, that's a great question. Oh, okay. I think that's a great question, Carlin, because, listen, a lot of Christians are like, Hey, the, you have one acceptable vocation. Like, whatever you have to do for money, great, fine, do it or whatever. But really, your vocation is ministry. Ooh. I don't know many Christians who are, like, seriously, like, with a straight face, like, saying that. But I do know a lot of Christians who are confused about the role that we have towards work. Mm. Right? We feel like we should be doing stuff for God, like, like serving food at a soup kitchen or 
uh, you know, adopting orphans or like doing like God centered work, right? Like being working at a church, you know, if we're working at a church, we can know we're doing it for God and that he approves of what we're doing. If we're working in the fashion industry, what does that have to do with God? And I think Christians don't really have a fleshed out theology of, of vocation. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And at the group I work for, we, we talk about this a lot. Many Christians have a two chapter version of Christianity. Uh-huh. The two chapters are this. You're a sinner. We're all born with evil in our hearts, and we need a Savior. So you need to, ex- you need to accept Jesus' offer of salvation because you have the humility to realize, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Yeah. Those two chapters are completely true, and they are the nexus point of Christianity. But what we want is for Christians to have four-chapter Christianity. Hmm. So, in, so the four chapters of the story that the Bible tells are creation— fall and then redemption and restoration Mm -hmm. so unless you understand why god made the world in the first place you're not going to understand why we should do work right and why we should do anything other than just uh talk about god all day or sit in a pew or play a harp on a cloud right you need to understand that god created the world and when he made the stuff of the world he sat back and said it is good yeah so fashion bears his thumbprint. <laughs> I, it's a huge stretch to say. I mean, there's a chapter in Genesis where God literally makes the first clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sheepskin. It's so hot. <laughs> he does that in response to the second chapter, which is fall. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that we're all sinners. So he's actually clothing the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Yeah. Yeah. Because they've sinned and now they feel for the first time in humanity's history, shame. And God clothes their nakedness. I mean, it's such a beautiful, tender image of redemption Mm -hmm. that even though they've messed up, he's actually giving them covering for the shame that they now feel. He's providing relief for the shame of being naked, which they they were never designed to feel, but the evil that we've done makes us ashamed. But that's not to say that like all clothing, we're getting super literal about this, but like totally. not to say that all clothing is just covering up your nakedness because there's, no, no, no. there's a, there's a piece of clothing that is um, about ex- like expression and beauty and culture and, and humanity. And um, I'm thinking of the scene in The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, where his character shows up in heaven. Right. Some characters that are wearing robes and some characters are wearing jewelry and it's right. it's it's like clothing detached from the necessity of of covering your shame it's clothing as a form of beauty and like adornment and glory not necessary but joyful and lovely carlin there is so much to unpack there i mean how many of us when we get up and get dressed in the morning we're doing that to Uh, protect ourselves from shame. My friend Sam Albury talks about this a lot in his book, What Does God Have to Say About Our Bodies? One of his chapters is about body image and that he has, he talks, he tells a story of a friend of his who hates going to the beach and uh, because he's, he doesn't want to take off his shirt. It's like that moment of shame and revealing our bodies, which shame is a part of living in a fallen world. And in that sense, fashion is like a defense mm-hmm. against um, being vulnerable, being made vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But in God's original design, like I'm thinking of the verse where it says, he clothes the lilies 
of the valley. Solomon in all his glory is not more splendid than one of these flowers. Like there's Jesus talking about clothes. Yeah. (laughs) So, so there's the design function of clothing, which is, which is glory to actually reflect the glory of humanity as a reflection of the glory of God, the creator. Yeah. I think that's woven into the design and how beautiful if we would appreciate the beauty in other people, including our sense of style and fashion Mm -hmm. as art that we live our lives in. Like Nigel says, like that would be to recover a real Edenic like creation vision for, for clothing and fashion and what it can be. And I think Andy, they, uh, cause the movie is not uh, confused about how negative body image can be yes, in the fashion right. industry. They're making jokes about it all the time. Like, oh, the size six is the new 14. Um, so toxic. And Andy, but Andy doesn't, it's not like she's getting it right at the beginning and then she falls prey. It's like at the beginning, she's still dressing to send a statement. The statement being, I don't care how I look. Um, and, but at the end, she ends up, taking like the best that the fashion industry has to offer which is knowing how to present yourself well and like being confident and 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 dressing in a light that flatters yourself without being obsessive about image yeah um she gives up the old frumpy way and actually the way she dresses at the end just speaks of confidence humility and poise but also i'm respecting you like, I respect this uh, institution because I'm going to dress nicely to work here. And listen, I, I get excited about that, like taking the best of that industry because that, ah, that's like our, that is our purpose as human beings and especially our purpose as people who have been redeemed by Jesus to live in his new kingdom economy, yeah. an economy that's based on God's perspective, not ours. And what we're supposed to do isn't just spurn the created world and spurn culture and society. It's actually to take what it's meant to be, take the best part of it and live into that while also rejecting the toxicity that often accompanies it. Scripture is so clear that character trumps outward appearances again and again and again and again and again. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, right? And uh, the Apostle Paul is like, Speaking to these churches, he's like, don't let your beauty come from outward adornment, but from the character in your heart. So so there's both and, right? Like scripture cares about what's inside. But if what's inside is good and godly, there actually sometimes is an extent to which you say, look, um, even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to wear a suit to this wedding. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because we can love people well through how we dress. That's a very redemptive view of fashion. I just, this verse came to mind from Colossians that I was reading the other day, um, talking about how that pendulum could kind of swing one way or the other. It's talking about asceticism, which is like depriving yourself of, you're just like making yourself so lowly and like living in the ashes, like not eating food, like whatever. Miserable on purpose. And it says, um, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Isn't that great? It's like, you can, you can be like, oh no, I'm not super cool fashion girl. I'm just one of those people that's like, whatever. Um, But are you actually stopping the indulgence of the flesh? Are you actually being humble? No. Right. (laughs) It is a question of the heart and it's a question of 
you're are you valuing other people or are you valuing this like self promotion image thing and and it can go to either side so yeah so given that carlin i guess my question is how do we break out of that kind of image obsessed version of ourselves and sort of become be about it kind of people my first intuition is that it comes from this deep sense of security that if you're a Christian, there's this ridiculously cool and um, life-changing notion that the God of the universe knows you, sees you, and loves you like crazy. Like, he's, he's, hmm. he's in love with you. Like, he hmm. designed you, and he has purpose for you, and he is willing to forgive your faults and willing to just, um, like... He, he says you're something special. He says you're something worthwhile. Hmm. And if you, if we were able to truly internalize that, like then, then what people think about you just kind of doesn't matter as much. If there's one thing that I see, actually, I just wish more Christians were able to tap into, it's that. Hmm. Because that is the gospel message. I mean, the late, great Tim Keller, a New York pastor who um just was so influential on so many people mm. he said the truth is this you're more flawed and sinful <laughs> than you ever thought possible but you're more deeply loved than you could ever hope yeah so the gospel is like a humbling and this is why it's hard this is why jesus says narrow is the road and few find it yeah. and and when he i mean i firmly believe that goes for people in the church mm. There's a lot of people sitting in pews every Sunday who have never internalized this truth that you have to go low to go high. Like that you have to come to God with humility first. But but when you do, this is the paradox. It seems like that will kill us. Mm. Acknowledging our faults, mm -hmm. acknowledging our sin, really, the, the bad things we've done. Actually, that leads to vitality. It leads to life because Jesus stands ready to forgive us. And that's freedom. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. If you're out here, like, and if you're not a Christian, for example, don't give up on Christianity until you've met a real Christian. I beg you. In Mark, there's the scene, the Gospel of Mark, there's the scene where the disciples are arguing about, like, who's the best. And actually, in Mark, um, James and John are like, oh, um, teacher, let us sit at your right hand and your left hand in your glory. Right. And they're, like, kind of trying to get ahead in the world, you know? And Jesus says to them, the son of man, referring to himself, didn't come to be served, but to serve. Basically saying like, you guys are upside down. You think this is about getting glory and lording it over, to, over people and making yourself great and awesome. But he says, no, I came to be a servant to the least. And, and, and it's the people who are the least who end up becoming the first and the ones that grab and try to be first become the least that that totally relates to i think uh one of the themes in this movie which is like what are you willing to like stab people in the back to get ahead and sometimes carlin and this is why this movie's great it's complex like you know when miranda lev levels that accusation against andy like you already did throw emily yeah. completely under the bus to get here on one hand the spirit of what she's saying is true and uh -huh. it lands it resonates with andy on the other hand there is some gray area hmm. Hmm. i don't know there just is in life and that's where I think like a Christian worldview of making these choices, uh, our decisions matter, but ultimately God knows our hearts 
and this is a this is something Jesus said that I hang my hat on a lot. He says, uh, "Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." In the face of moral ambiguity, Jesus's words, I mean, what he says is a good person from the goodness within them brings forth good fruit. A bad person from the evil within them Mm. brings forth bad fruit. And you'll know people by their fruit. So like not every choice Mm. is immediately clear. But if you're walking in that humility, if if you're asking God to help you do the right thing, if you you have the humility to admit Mm. your own faults when you see them, that is the solution. It's actually not like a legalism of like, I can't screw up even once. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Yeah, like that attitude that you're talking about. They're like, oh my gosh, I really don't want to mess up. At least in my life, that's usually born of this commitment to be the person who is selfless or to be the person who does it right. Kind of the way Andy's like, I'm the person who's never going to sell out. Um, But then when push comes to shove, her actions are then guided by this image of herself that she's trying to put forward rather than what's actually right. the best thing for the people around me? Or like, what's actually the right thing to do? Yeah, it's a it's a pretty brittle and superficial yeah. form of integrity. And I do it too. I mean, we all do it, right? We, we have a, an image of ourselves that we're trying yeah. to like prop up. But oftentimes real integrity comes at the cost of letting that yeah. image get smashed to the ground. There's a Latin phrase, I don't, I don't know the Latin of it, but it says to be oh. rather than to seem. It's like, do you want to do you want to be about it or do you want to look like you're about it? Ha. <laughs> my workout video, my workout video yesterday, they were saying, stop worrying about the noun, do the verb. <laughs> I mean, like, that's don't good. Stop worrying about, uh, am I an athlete and start training? Right. Stop worrying about, am I, you know, a good mom and start loving your kid? Like, and stop worrying about, am I healthy and start eating healthy? Yeah. Like. Don't worry so much about if you fit the title and just do the work. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by men. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. He's talking to a culture where like religiosity was like, you know, that's what it's all about. In some ways, we can, it's the farthest possible thing from our culture. You know what I mean? Like, we're not yeah. about religiosity, but we are about other things. And his point is, do do it for God. God sees you when you're in private. Don't do it. Don't do what you do for men. Dang. And just to throw in another Bible example, because they're, they're so good. Um, but that the one I was just talking about in Mark, okay, the, James and John are like, Lord, we want you to give us what we ask you. And he's like, all right, what's that? And they're like, glory. The very next section there's a beggar calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus comes to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? And those two, I just underlined them because in one, the disciples are asking Jesus, do do for us what we ask of you. And in the next section, Jesus is offering to this beggar, what do you want me to do for you? Like, wouldn't you rather be the beggar <laughs> than the disciples? <laughs> I'm just thinking like, even right now, like, let's say Jesus were in my living room. Picture he comes and sits down on the couch next to you and goes, Casey, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) This blind man had that experience. Like literally verbally, Jesus would, like Jesus was physically sitting, standing, whatever in front of him and said those words to his face. I mean, it just goes back to what you were saying, Carlin, is like, 
the 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 real gospel underneath all the crust and all the religious layers and the <laughs> just uncomfy pews and you know whatever 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 you think about religion whatever religious people think about religion <laughs> the real gospel yeah. is Jesus serving you Jesus making you clean Jesus loves you more than that he likes you he actually wants to be around you we just shove them away because we just can't handle that we'd rather like if i if i rise i rise on my own if i fail at least i died doing it my way you know like frank sinatra that's my guy you know and like forget that you know it's like i want jesus you know like i uh, yeah that's so powerful that's the source of christian confidence though i mean and at this point the devil wears Prada. <laughs> it's like, boy, <laughs> does Andy know all that? No, <laughs> but, but like, <laughs> but like, in the real world, it's like what it does is shows us um, the humility to, to be about it. And I, I just think that's a powerful aspect of that movie. And it's like in the real world, how do you do that? Well, you find your source of value in the God who made everything, including the fashion industry, including you, and you let Him fill you with your sense of purpose and worth. That's how mm. you get there right? It, mm-hmm. Over the long haul. That's what our Christian mm-hmm. worldview would say about that. So it's like the devil mm-hmm. wears Prada cracks open the door to all these massive, important questions of being human. And they get it like basically right. <laughs> like you have the, yeah. the humility to accept responsibility. That's how you crack open the door to go before your creator and just be like, make me into something good, you know? Should we write a Devil Wears Prada devotional? I don't know. I feel like we just did. <laughs> uh. Uh, but that's okay. But just to rewind it, not it's not that every story is a metaphor for yeah, Christianity. Right. It's that the best stories hit on the truth. And the truth, it, God's word is the truth. And so there's going to be overlap. Like you see these themes, if they're true themes, then they'll resonate regardless of the medium. Yeah, right. Like the best art, raises the big questions of life and Christianity raises the big questions of life. And so you're going to find it and answers them. But it's worth reiterating that it's not the parable of the devil wears Prada because (laughs) because Christians are notorious for doing this. Like, well-intentionally, we'll be like, well, we we need a Christian version of the devil wears Prada. please, no. (laughs) There's there's some Christian studio ready to bankroll the Christian B-rate version of this movie. And uh, we're just here to beg you, Please don't. A girl named Anna gets a job. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, 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 let's just not. Let's just not. I, I just uh, said it's, it's too real. All right. Well, Case, let's let's close the episode out by each saying what our favorite outfit was in the movie. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. <laughs> what, I, why do I have to go first? <laughs> I like when she's wearing the newsy hat and she's got like a little off the shoulder sweater and the white uh, button down underneath because that just reminds me of everything I wore in middle school. That's crazy. That's exactly what I was going to say. Ah, good question. All right. Hey, thank you for watching. (laughs) And thank you for listening to Cinema Snorkel. We will see you next time. That's all.